You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Today we are finishing out chapter 5 in the very last section, starting at verse 16. Guys, let's stand up together as we hear God's word being taught or being read. This is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Use it, God, to change us, to challenge us, to form us, to shape us. We need you, God. You tell us, apart from you, you, we can do nothing. And I pray that that would be true even more today as we look at these, these characteristics of life and as we're challenged in our understanding of what it means to be spiritual. We love you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a seat, please. So today we are talking about the spirit being spiritual. So I would pose a question to you. I'd ask you, do you consider yourself spiritual? Do you consider yourself spiritual? Now, this is a question I think that's really important for us because not, not only do you consider yourself spiritual, but if the answer is yes or no, it still forces us into other questions like, well, what does it even mean to be spiritual? And this is a popular topic right now these days. More and more people are claiming spirituality than ever before. It's estimated about 50%, like half of our country would consider themselves spiritual. Now, we're all over the map on it. It doesn't mean always the same thing, right? Definitions are important. When we say we're spiritual, it can mean a whole heap of scenarios. And and people say that they're spiritual, but not religious. They say they're religious, but not spiritual. They say they're both religious and spiritual, or none of the above. And, you know, if one of those four categories maybe fits you, then this is is a helpful conversation we're going to have today, because what does it mean to be spiritual? If 50% of our country says that they're spiritual, well, what are we talking about? Not only what does it mean to be spiritual, but how? How can I be spiritual? A good example, I don't know if it's a good example, it's an example. Um, There's an early church father, okay? So this was like back in the 400s. His name was Simeon. 
And he was, he was a follower of, follower of Jesus. And when he was a young teenager, he felt a real strong call. He wanted to serve God in whatever ways he could. And back then, you know, they just had started forming like monasteries. And there was opportunities for you to become a monk where you could go off to the monastery, learn about the things of the Lord, and grow, become more spiritual. So he went to the monastery before the age of 16. This, is, this was his teenager. He, want, he wanted to go be a monk, went in, but they weren't strict enough for him. He wanted things to be so much more rigid and hardcore that actually his fellow monks kicked him out of the monastery. They said, look, you're, you're, too, you're too much for us. <laughs> so this is 16 years old. So what does he do? He goes rummaging around an ancient ruin, right? There was some rubble, and he finds this pillar, right? This tall pillar. And he says, this is my solution. So we think the pillar was somewhere around six to eight feet tall. He built a platform on top of the pillar, and he said, I'm going to live up there. So he goes, he climbs up, and he is, in essence, separating himself from eight feet below, living on this platform, and people start seeing this, and they're coming, and they're going, what is this guy doing? He's out of his mind. And, and he, he starts drawing quite a bit of attention to himself. And so he gets so distracted by all the people coming, he says, no, this isn't good enough. I need something taller. So he finds, builds, whatever, a taller, much taller pillar. As the story goes, somewhere between 40 to 50 feet tall, puts the platform up there, that this is my new home, and lives up there. And so he would like pull up food from the bottom and, and people would help. Obviously, he needed people to help him out. But this was, this was his solution. And you're like, man, th that, is, that is insane. He did this for 30 to 40 years. He did it for the rest of his life. He lived up on top of this thing. Now, I don't know where the story and the legend begins and ends, but there's certainly enough record of there's some truth to this. So it's one way to do it. It's one way to figure out spirituality and being spiritual. And as, as extreme and maybe even funny as Simeon's story is, it, it forces us into thinking through what, what does it mean? What does it mean for me to be spiritual? And what are the lengths that I will go to or that people will go to to become spiritual, to, to find what that is? Why do so many people care? If 50% of, of the country consider themselves spiritual, why do so many people even care about this subject, how to get it, how to be it? And I, I think the answer is simple. As humans, we have this desire to connect with something bigger than ourselves. We have a desire to, to see life as more than just this because we live life. We, life is crazy, right? We can agree. It's hard. It's difficult. We go through our day. We, we look around and we just go, man, this can't be it. There has to be more. There has to be more than this. And so we... We want to connect with whatever that more is. We want to connect with the spirit, the spirit world. And there are more and more services that are popping up to help us. And you can get apps on your phone. You just go to the, go to the app store and you can type in spirituality or meditation or 
relaxation, whatever it is, and you'll, you'll see some, some really great technology. Headspace is one. Uh, there's an app called Calm, C-A-L-M. I'm not necessarily promoting these. I'm just telling you that they exist. And you know what? If Sometimes they can be good. But the question is, are they really connecting us with a healthy spirituality? And if I could just talk to us as a church right now, because we, we get it twisted too sometimes. We confuse spirituality with the wrong things, not necessarily bad things, but we can confuse spirituality with, with things that happen in church, right? Like the music. Music would be one. If the music isn't a certain way, then God's spirit did not show up. If it is a certain way, then God's spirit did show up. How the lights are shining. What's, what's happening in my emotions? If my emotions are if I don't cry in church, God was not there. And we do this. We attach experience. We attach physical things to whether or not spirit things are happening. And it's dangerous. So I want to help us understand spirituality. And I think our text really helps us in some unique ways. I mean, if you think about it, what's our... (laughs) What's our pillar friend doing? I mean, Simeon, what's he trying to do? He's trying to deal with the realities of life. I, I, want to, I want to live a good life. I want to do things right. I want to, potentially, if this is you, I want to live for God. And so I'm trying to live for God, but then at the same time, there's all these things around me that are pulling me to do things that I don't want to do. And so I'm going to I'm going to climb up on a ladder and I'm going to live there because down below is evil, up here is not, and that's... That's my connection. Do you ever find yourself doing stuff that you just don't really want to do? There's two wants happening, right? There's, there's one desire that's the deeper, better desire, and then there's that other more surface desire that tends to take over and just pull us into those directions, right? I mean, how many of us have ever been on a diet? <clears throat> It happens, right? You, get, you go on a diet, you want to eat healthy, you want to lose weight, you want to whatever it is, and that's the deeper desire. That's the good, strong desire. And then there's Dandy Donuts opening up location right next door. They're open 24 hours a day, fresh, hot donuts anytime you want. And some of you right now, your mouth's just instantly filled up with... And then what, what happens? Ah, just this one. I've been good. Or you just, you want to be a, a nice person, a friendly person. You want what comes out of your mouth to be helpful and healthy to other people. And then, and then there's just that situation that comes up. And for all of us, it's different triggers. It, it could be someone bumps into you in the street. Someone says something to you at work. Someone challenges something about your character. Someone cuts you off in, while you're driving. And then all of it just oozes out. All the stuff that you did not want to come out just comes blowing out, enraged, and we, we just can sit back after we encounter those situations and just go, what was that? Who was that guy? What a nightmare. Life tends to be this battle. 
And it's tough. It is a battle. It's a fight. And <clears throat> I think we tend to believe that if I am spiritual, if I get enough of the spiritual in me, whatever that looks like, well, then I, will, I won't have to deal with these things. That's not true. Being spiritual doesn't mean you're exempt from the fight. Being spiritual, what we'll come to learn, is understanding the fight, understanding how to fight, understanding what it really means to be spiritual, and knowing how to engage in the fight. So Paul makes this statement right off the bat in verse 16, right? He says this. He says, I tell you, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think we have that slide for you. Look at that. Super clear, right? This is Paul setting up a help desk for us. Right, for my Apple fans out there, this is the genius bar. He's, he's saying, look, I, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you understand this battle that you're experiencing. I'm going to help you understand what's going on in your life. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, he's starting to get real specific now. We've been in Galatians for a long time, relatively long time, and we have been hammering into you, into us, that our relationship with God is not based on what we do, how we do it. It's all based on what God has done, who he is, and how he loves us and has saved us. That our standing with God doesn't change by how much money you give, how, much time, how many times you go to church, how nice you are, how mean you are. God pours out his love on us in such an amazing way. But now, in chapter 5, He's bringing some life and clarity to that because we start asking the question, well, does it matter then? Let me just do whatever I want to do. Let me, let me eat the donuts. Let me curse out the guy who cuts me off. Let me do whatever if it doesn't matter. And Paul says, well, no, no, no. It does matter. It doesn't affect your standing with, the, with God's love for you. But, and I said this last week, what you do proves what you love. And God says, if you love me, well, it's going to impact the way that you live. And he says, he sets up this dynamic. He says, walk by the Spirit. This is really the first time we're seeing the Spirit used in this sense in, in the book here. He's, he's giving us an understanding of how the gospel shapes how we live and the things we do. He says, I want to tell you what's happening. There's this battle taking place inside of you. There's the Spirit and there's the flesh. And last week we talked about the flesh. Remember? The flesh doesn't mean the skin on your body. It means the desires within us that are opposed to God. That's a simple definition. Usually when you see the word flesh in the Bible, it's talking about cravings in us. It's the donut. The donut is opposed to your healthy life. Our, our flesh is opposed to the life that God wants us to live. And so he says there's this battle. There's the flesh and there's the spirit. And when we look at this word spirit, you notice it's capitalized. It's because we are not engaging in some abstract spirituality. We're not just looking at the horoscope in the paper or online. We're not just using our apps 
to help us meditate better and be more in tune with ourselves. God says, no, there is actually a, a spirit that lives inside of you. And it's, it's actually God himself. See, this is one of the mysteries of our relationship with the Lord and, and God's existence. We see God as described as Father and as Son and as Spirit, and we call that a trinity, and we don't fully understand how it all works, but we believe it's one God expressed in three different people, and we see it as the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so it's actually more appropriate not to say the Spirit as an it, but the Spirit as a he, as a person. When we believe the Spirit comes, we believe this is not just some ghost abstract force like we love in our Star Wars movies. No, this is, this is a, a real person of the Godhead. And when we put our faith in Christ, that Spirit comes and lives in us. So the Spirit is inescapably connected to God. It is God. And so being spiritual, when we want to really have a definition, being spiritual means being connected to God. It's trusting in God for our salvation. It's trusting the gospel. That's spirituality, true spirituality. But it doesn't mean everything is perfect. It doesn't mean the battle's over because that's what Paul says. He says, walk by the Spirit. When he says walk by the Spirit, it's, it's just another word for live. Live by the Spirit. The Spirit is going to give you direction. You need to live by that Spirit. And he says, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so you then go, well, I don't understand because I think the Spirit is in me. It's living in me. But I'm still constantly fighting against gratifying those cravings, those desires. I want the donut. I eat the donut more than I should. Well, Paul helps us because he doesn't leave us here. Look in verse 17. He says, the desires of the flesh are what? Against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are what? Against the flesh. They are opposed to each other, what does it say right there? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Man, that, like, there's a summary of our life. <laughs> he says there is a war in us constantly raging. There is a battle between the, that deep desire to want to honor God to honor the Spirit, to let the Spirit live and breathe in us, and also the flesh, which is still alive and well. It's, we're not trapped under its power any longer, but it is alive, and the presence exists. And so we know we, we're supposed to live this way, and then that's the Spirit that's walking by the Spirit. And then there's the, the cravings of the flesh that says, no, 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 come this way. And we start to head off in that direction because we're like, eh, just this once. I've been doing so good. I've really been, I've been following God so closely. It's not going to be a big deal if I do this. And Paul says, look, this is the battle. And it's, they're opposed to each other. They are not in sync ever. And they keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then he lays it out <laughs> really clearly. He throws a bunch of words together <laughs> to show us the difference. Just in case we were going, well, I don't even know. What's the flesh? What does that even look like? 
Well, he throws a bunch of words out. He, throw, he puts a list together. Now, it's not meant to be exhaustive. This is not every sin imaginable, but we can see things falling under these categories. And he says, this is, this is what it looks like to walk, to, to walk in the flesh, the works of the flesh. 15 words he gives us. And I'm going to break them into little sections for you because this is important. Because I'm going to show you some things that are helpful in this list. One of the things that you're going to see as we look at this is that it's not all about actions. Right? When I read that list before, and we're going to show you, these are the actions that you see up here. But this is only seven of the 15 words. The rest are what? Attitude. And we'll look at them in a sec. But see, this is so important. We have this idea that, well, as long as I don't do, you know, as long as I don't yell or kill someone or cheat on my wife or cheat on my taxes, that everything's fine. And Jesus did this when he was on earth and teaching, and we see that in the Gospels, and then Paul is reiterating these truths that, no, no, it's not just about your actions, it's actually about the intentions of your heart that cause probably even more trouble. So look at, look at these, this list. This is the first, these are the actions that are included in, in the 15 words. This is seven of them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, all of those, those three are grouped together. These would be unnatural sexual practices. These would be outside of the confines of marriage, engaging in, in, in sexual activity doing whatever you want. And then you look, idolatry, sorcery. Idolatry is worshiping something other than God. Sorcery is actually the work of sorcery. And in, in that culture, there were, I mean, and in our culture too, but it was definitely prevalent in Paul's day where people were practicing witchcraft and faking the work of God. You see that in the New Testament. And we don't have time to look at all of these in depth. But drunkenness, it's clear, being drunk, having too much. And orgies is, is excessive celebrating, okay? Excessive eating, excessive drinking, excessive drugs. That's what that word means. It's, don't think of it in just a very narrow category. This would have been a much broader category. So those are the, the seven actions that Paul is saying, look, you need to be careful of this. this is, these are part of the works of the flesh. But then he gets into the to the harder part. Because we could look at this list and go, all right, didn't do sorcery this week. I'm on my way. Like, eh, I took off being drunk this week. Things are getting better. They're looking up. No, because then we get to the next eight words. The first four are attitudes. And then the next four are the results of the attitudes. Now, this is where we're all going to hang our heads, okay? Enmity. Do you know what that is? It's hatred. Hostility. Strife. Ooh, this is a big one. This is a big one, strife. You know what strife is? Strife is tension that you cause because of a position you take. Yeah, all my, all my internet warriors out there get real bold on Facebook behind the computer. I hate you. I hate this. I hate everyone. This position stinks. You're ugly. You're foolish. Strife. Jealousy. 
bad feelings that you have when someone else does well. <laughs> We're not going to raise hands to see who's been dealing with any of these, okay? Because we, we, we all struggle in these things. Fits of anger. Not only anger, but when you act on that anger, when you throw a fit, you know, we, our kids like drop to the floor and like, ah, rolling around. We don't do that. Our fits are a little more sophisticated. We're just more mature fitters. So look at that. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I mean, Paul's, he's getting very clear and, and hitting on every nerve that we should have because it's, he's saying, don't just think because you don't get drunk or you don't practice sorcery, you don't practice idolatry, that you're out of this flesh working in your life. In fact, it's even deeper than you think, and we have to be more con concerned about it because then, not only there, there's the results of enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. We have the next four. Look at what it says. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. The first four are the emotions, the attitudes. The second four are what comes from those. Rivalries. This is selfishness. When you want something so badly that it just ruins relationship. Dissensions. Always arguing. You always want the last word. Someone says the sky's green, you say, no, 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 it's blue. Someone says the sky's blue, you're like, no, you crazy, it's green. I don't know who says the sky's green, but arguers, dissensioners. Divisions, this is where you exclude other people. Envy, you want what others have. So look, we, we get these words. Paul says, these are the works of the flesh. Combine those with the other seven words of the actual activities, and we, we, have, we have some problems. And what does it do? So what, how does this help us? It helps us in a few different ways. It helps us first by allowing us to examine our lives. Right? We all looked at this list and went, yep, 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 that's me, that's me, nope, that's you, but that one's me. Right? So the idea is not for you to point to the other person, like, yep, it's you. No, 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 that's, we're to examine our lives, not the lives of others. We don't look at our spouse and go, are you paying attention? Because your flesh is a mess. Your, the works of your flesh are really problematic. No, 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 this is for us to look at our life and go, Oh my gosh, I'm a mess. And here's, the, here's where the gospel comes in and says, actually, you're much worse. You're much worse than you think you are. Because we'll look at that and we'll excuse things. We'll be like, oh yeah, I had a donut, it was fine, it wasn't a big deal, but I, I got past that. I, I said my prayers, I ran an extra. This is the best. When people are talking to me about wanting to like, be healthy, eat better, and they're like, yeah, I had, you know, guys, forgive me for using the donuts over and over. I just love donuts so much. So this is going to be the illustration we're going to grab on. But yeah, I had my donut this morning, so I'm just going to run extra hard tomorrow. I'm going to work out a little bit extra. That's our mindset with everything. We are trying to weigh out the balances and the scales to go, I did bad, but I'm going to do more good tomorrow, so it's going to be fine. And Jesus comes, and Paul comes, and God just says, that is crazy, you can't out-train a bad diet. You can't outdo the goodness of God. You can't, you can't overcome the debt that's owed to God by the works of the flesh. 
That's what being under the law is. And Paul says, you have been set free from that. But this helps us look at our lives and go, oh man, I need a savior. I need help. And it helps us to to turn our lives a little bit, right? Some people like to see certain sins as more sinful. At least I don't drink, at least I don't smoke, at least I don't gamble. I'm doing good. And, and this passage comes in and says, yeah, but, but you're so mean. And you're so proud. And you just love yourself so much that you think because you didn't do those other things that God now owes you something. And so this is a, it's a, it's a steering mechanism for us. When we start seeing, okay, I, I'm, I want to walk by the Spirit, but the flesh is there, and it's showing me. And I, when I start going off the rails, this brings me back on and says, hey, 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 that, that's jealousy, that's strife, that's hatred, that stuff is coming out of you right now. You need, to, you need to go to God. You need to go back to God. And you know what God has done? He has put other people in our lives to help call those things out to us and say, hey, you're being a jerk. Jerk isn't on this list, but it fits in, right? It it fits, and God gives us spouses, and God gives us children to help point those things out, and parents, and God gives us friends and loved ones and family members to say, hey, now the question is, do you give them permission to call those things out? Or whenever something is highlighted in your life, do you pick up a brick and say, Mind your business. Just quit judging me. That's, a, that's, that's everybody's favorite one, right? Anytime you're called out for doing something wrong, don't judge. Don't judge me. Do you know that the Bible doesn't really say that? The Bible says we are not to judge the eternal destination of someone, but Jesus said very clearly a tree is known by its fruit. And if you have an apple tree it should produce what? Apples. If you have a banana tree, it should produce? But we want to stick the fruit on the tree and make it seem like we're really producing fruit. My grandfather used to do that. I was a kid. I lived in New York and I used to visit here to South Florida and he had banana trees in his backyard. And I just always remember every time I came, I got to pick these great bunches of bananas that were beautiful. I came to find out later, he used to stick them in the tree. So here's the point. The tree was no good. The fruit was fine, but that tree wasn't producing that fruit. Do do you see some of the connection I'm trying to make? We, We have fruit that's supposed to come up and out of us, and if we don't see that in one another, well, that's the whole purpose for these texts, to help us care for one another. It's not judging Don't use that term. It's fine. We want to help. Look, if I see my child going bananas, no pun intended, going going crazy in fits of anger or jealousy over his spouse or his friends, because I love him, I'm going to go, son, this is not God's best for your life. Let me show you what is God's best for your life. 
And thank God Paul tells us, right? It's not just about the works of the flesh. He says, no, there's actually the opposite of these. There's fruit of the Spirit. And we don't have time to go through all these, but we can put them up. This is what Paul tells us. He says, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what the beauty with all these is? I don't have to explain any of them. (laughs) They just, they make sense. You just know when you're not doing them. Love. Just that selfless giving of your life for someone else, not because of what they can give you, but because of who they are and how, who they were made. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Joy. I mean, this is delight in God, the experience of gladness, peace. This is confidence in who God is, kindness. It's being helpful, being generous, goodness. Goodness is being the same person in every situation. Faithfulness, someone others can depend on. Gentleness, it's humility, not overly impressed with yourself. Self-control, being restrained, not impulsive, not just acting on your emotions and your desires. We could spend months talking about this. But you get it, right? Paul gives you these two lists. He says, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, this. Don't give in to the the desires of the flesh. Don't give in to the jealousy and the enmity and the strife and the dissensions. Fight against that. They're opposed to each other. They're going to keep you. The the flesh is going to keep you from doing this that you want to do. And this is, I know it is. I know it in you. This is what you want more than anything else. I I believe it. I'm going to speak it into your life over you that that's what you want. But the others seem better in the moment. I am going to get my way. And so I am going to unload on you. And I'm going to make sure you understand how wrong you are so that I can be right. And Paul, God just says, that's not it. That's not where life is. There's so much application here, my, my friends. And the, the idea of it is not to say, okay, we need to try harder and do more to, to get these down. The, the idea is Run to your Savior because He is the only way that you will ever have these things. Not just personality wise, but deep in you. And, and let me give you some encouragement with this because I think there's some principles that we can understand about the fruit. You know, Paul, Paul uses the words works for the flesh and he uses fruit for the Spirit, right? Works, we've already heard in Galatians, to death. Like, works lead to death. Fruit, though, is a symbol of life and the fruit of the Spirit. So here's some things to help us understand about fruit and what happens with, these, with this list of fruit. And we can keep these up there. One, it's, it's gradual, right? Fruit doesn't grow overnight. It takes time. All farming images indicate time, progression, Gradual. I don't expect my 10-year-old to ex- exhibit the same measure of the fruit that I do myself or some of you. It's gradual. It's a process. So what does that mean? It means we need to be patient. Hey, good thing. That's one of the gifts. That's one of the fruit. Not only is it gradual, it's deep. 
What do I mean? I mean it's rooted, okay? This is, again goes to the whole tree metaphor. The, the apple hanging on the tree did not grow in and of itself. The apple is only a product of what's going on under the surface. So we can spend all day fixing the apple, putting the bananas onto the tree, and not realizing the fruit, that the, the roots are dead, that what's going on deep is not happening. It's not bringing life. The fruit is a product of what's going on underneath. Underneath is where the life is. And this is important because sometimes we just want to force that fruit to grow. And we do this with our kids. We do this with each other. Like, I don't care about your heart. Just say, please. Just say, thank you. Say, you're sorry. Stand up straight. Do this. Don't do this. Like, that's, that's prison. That's death. It's easier. The hard part is getting what's going on underneath. We want to we want to see roots taking shape. We don't want to just worry about what goes on on the outside. The only way we will grow in these things if God is alive in us, producing the fruit and the the roots in us. The third thing is. This is really helpful. It's promised. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel, okay? Because God promises he is going to do these things in us. He promises fruit. They're going to grow within us. They're going to grow. They're going to get stronger. They're going to keep progressing and getting better. And it's not like fruit in the real world where it's mango season. Man, I'm really hoping those mangoes get ripe. No, no, no. God is going to do it in your life. And another part of that is that these fruit are all meant to be taken together. They're united. You can't wake up one day and go, look, God just did not give me the fruit of patience. He gave me all the others. God didn't give me patience. Do you see? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit. It's, a, it's meant to be taken singular. All the fruit grow up together in us. And you can't confuse that with personality. Personality, some of us are just wired more patiently. Some of us are just wired more peaceful, joyful, loving. But you can't, you can't say, well, I, I'm, I'm very self-controlled. I don't do anything bad. I don't go against, you know, the rules. But man, I am the most impatient person God put on this earth. And say, well, God just didn't give me that fruit. No, no, no. God gives all the fruit together. So we have to understand we want these all cultivated in us, growing in us. And finally, what I will close with is to say this, that this is hard. And it can be discouraging because sometimes if you're like me, I'm studying this, I'm just going, oh my gosh, I'm so impatient. I'm so angry sometimes. I'm so... Man, this is when we just... We run to the gospel. We run to the cross. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. That's what Paul said in the previous passage. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You have been set free from the, the bondage of feeling like you don't measure up. And so these, these things are here for us to look at and say, God, I need you so very much. Forgive me for the way I treat my children. Forgive me for the way I treat other people. Forgive me for how impatient I am. Because in verse 24, 
In 25, Paul says, he says, we're crucifying the flesh. That means the flesh is needing to be put to death. And Paul says, we are doing that. Crucifying is not a pleasant act. And in verse 25, right at the end, he says, we're actually gonna keep in step with the spirit. And we're gonna talk more about that next week. But he says, keep in step with the spirit, crucifying the flesh, keeping in step with the spirit. We don't just say no to the bad things. We actually fill ourselves with Jesus more and more. And so we do that by coming here. We do that by reading our scriptures. We do that by soaking in in powerful songs of gospel freedom like we sang today. And you're going to focus less on where you're failing and focus more on who God is in your life. Man, if I could just sit that on top of you and let that just sink in. Focus less on where you're failing and more on who God is and what he's doing in your life. Church, let's stand up. Let's pray. Fill this place, God. God, I I believe you are bringing conviction to many in here. I, I believe that you are bringing life where there is death, that you are bringing hope, where there is hopelessness. I believe you are doing what we cannot do in and of ourselves. I believe the fruit of the Spirit is is wanting to, to not just take root, but to blossom in our lives. And you just say, you, you call us to run to you and say, help. And we're saying it now, God, help. Help us. Help us live for you. Help us not gratify the desires of the flesh. Help us run from the desires of the flesh. Help us put to death the desires of the flesh, to crucify the works of the flesh so that we might live for you. Not so we can can look better or check off a list, but so we can live for you, which is the best thing that we can do. You love us so much that you say, I want the best for you, son. I want the best for you, daughter, and that is love, and that's joy, and that's peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. I want those things for your life. Seek me, and you will have those things for your life. Oh, and what a life it will be. Meet us now, God, as we sing, as we worship, and God, save us from ourselves. In Jesus' name.